This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Enabling God to gather as God's people, isn't it, each Sunday? Because this is a privilege that we do not take for granted. Um, as we come and open up our hearts and our minds, uh, we pray that God will help us to actually learn from His truth. Because every Sunday is another opportunity to be transformed by God's Word. It's every day, but every Sunday as we come to um, expound and engage on God's Word, it is another chance for us to let God speak to us. So let's pray and I commit this time to God. Oh Father, we pray that you will engage our minds with your Word today and renew and transform our hearts as we hear your Word speaking to us, and strengthen our hands and our will, that we might live for your glory. Amen. Now, being a Christian, or gathering as Christians, is not always easy. There can be moments in our lives and the life of the church where discouragement, strength, and hope seems to be all mixed together. There will be times that... Um, Our hope kind of fades a little bit because of difficulties. But yet, interestingly, it is in times like this that we can end up seeing more clearly than in good days the hand of God at work. For in times that are difficult, we look with our eyes closed, with our hands clapped, with our knees bent. We look to God and ask that He might show His glory to us and to the world. Now, in parts of East Asia, Christians get killed often, get imprisoned in concentration camps. In such places, the Christians are like plants trying to grow out of a six-inch thick concrete. It is difficult, but yet the Christians continue to persevere and survive under prayer. And during the Cold War, where the Word of God uh, is hard to reach to dark places, where the Word of God is not available in the hands of people, and people pray, God, how will your message reach the laws? Will the souls be condemned and be lost forever? And rumors came. There was this young Dutchman who does this foolish business of transporting and smuggling Bibles into or behind the iron gates. He had nothing with him but Bibles and prayer, And this man, in the 50s, he smuggled Bibles into Eastern Europe and to other places. That man was uh, nicknamed God's Smuggler, the founder of Open Doors. You know what, when the forces of darkness draw their swords to pierce the flesh of God's people, God's people have another sword, the spiritual sword that Christ has left, that they draw to respond. And that is prayer. Prayer is the sword that when you draw, that it shines even in the darkest night. And this is the story of Acts 12. In Acts 12, as we enter it, we'll see a king who torments ruthlessly Christians and the servant of God. But he will soon find that he is facing not men, but he will face the sword of God himself, while God preserves his servant and rescues his church. So I invite you to enter into Acts 12 with me by opening up or keeping your Bibles open 
to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. If you like music, you have almost feel music coming in. Verse 1, the dark music of persecution, which we have read earlier on. And let me read to us again. Verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now, when you hear the name, a family name, Herod, uh, you should start to feel a bit uneasy because there are plenty of Herodian kings in the Bible and they always cause discomfort. There was the first, the Herod the Great. Uh, he was in Matthew 2 who massacred, or massacred um, babies in Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus. As we read on, there was another Herod by the name Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas murdered John the Baptist and he was there at the trial of Jesus. And here in Acts 12, we have another Herod, Herod Agrippa I. He's the grandson of Herod the Great, kind of the nephew of Herod Antipas, and he's called Herod Agrippa. But he has a similar trait as his grandfather and his uncle. He has lack of integrity and he sheds the blood of innocent. Now later on at the end of Acts, we have one more Herod, Herod Agrippa II. He's kind of a better um, Herod who was a bit fair in, in treating Paul, but that will come later. But right here in Acts 12, we are looking at Herod Agrippa I. He's a good puppet of the Roman Empire, of the Roman Emperor, because he's good at making sure that people listen uh, and kept in check. In fact, Herod Agrippa I, he has found a, a quick way, a quick win of getting the Jews to listen to him and like him. He realized when he murdered the apostle James, his popularity shot up the roof. He says, that is the way to get these people to be under checked. And he begins by persecuting the church. He says, what better way for us to be on the same side if we have common enemy? And he went on to um, do his killing spree, or at least he hopes to. He has um, arrested Apostle Peter, the leader of the small religion of Christianity, and he was planning to kill Peter. But this, there's this thing about Herod. He, he knows the culture. He knows the culture of the Jewish people. And he says, I'm not going to kill him in this time, because it was kind of the festival of unleavened bread. I'll kill him after the Passover. I'll do it the right way. The Jews like it, and they will like me as well. And that's what's happening at the palace or with Herod. Meanwhile, the Christian church, they're kind of facing her darkest moments. You know, the twelve apostles have been the pillar of the church, and among the twelve, there were three who were the inner circle of Jesus. In Matthew, three times we'll we say that Jesus brought this trail in Matthew 5 to, to, to raise a dead girl to life. And then later in Matthew 17, at Transfiguration, where the appearance of uh, Moses and Elijah appeared, he brought this trail up the mountain. And on the Monday, Thursday, the night before Jesus died, he brought this tree, Peter, James, and John, with him a bit further to pray together. This tree, uh, the inner circle of Jesus. But this Passover is a very dark Passover. Isn't it not too long ago that the twelve apostles with Jesus shed the Passover meal. Now the church, they're sharing a Passover meal, but the trio, one is dead, James, one is dying, Peter, and one is left, 
John, what will happen to the Jerusalem or Judean church? What will happen under the crushing torment of King Herod? Now, from a, from a worldly lens, if you wear one, you see that kings and leaders with power always seems to be on the upper hand. Didn't they murder John the Baptist, Jesus, Stephen, James, and soon to be Peter? But the spiritual lens see things differently. They see Jesus, or God, is the one who is victorious. Didn't Jesus die and he rose from the dead? Didn't Stephen die and the gospel exploded out of Jerusalem? But the question is, how about John the Baptist, his death, or um, how about um, James? How about their death? This is where the, the reading we had from Philippians 1 is really helpful because Paul paints a really wonderful and clear picture of the life and death of Christians. Paul in Philippians 1 says to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Christians to go on living means greater witnessing for God. But for Christians, when they die, it marks that they have finished their job and it's time to meet the Lord that they have longed for. So that is the way Christians view life and death. Life, more testimony, that is great. Death, your job is done. Christ has decided that it's time to meet Him. So John the Baptist, when he died, he finished his job. He was the closure of the Old Testament, the last of the prophets. And from then on, only Christ moved forward. When James died, he fulfilled what Jesus said. Uh, before he died, he died, he says, You will drink the cup. You will drink the cup of suffering and death for the gospel. Because you will be my witness as well. And both of them finished their job. And they finished their journey to see Christ. So Herod's persecution has meant to be kind of uh, causing fear and destruction, but instead it is causing the Christians to start praying and rely even more to God. So look at verse 5 to 9 with me as you open and keep your Bible open. Look at verse 5 to verse 9 on God's rescue. You know, the church, including us, we have no military or political power, but the church has one power that is uncontended. The power of prayer. No, Christians have access to God that the world does not have. You know, a church can pray. And so we read verse 5, look at it. Peter was, in, was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. Hudson Taylor, a man of prayer, he said this, you know, Satan may build a wall about us, but he can't put a roof on top to keep us from praying to God. There is an access to God for Christians that the world cannot put a boundary upon. Prayer is the access that Christ gave it to us when He died on the cross, paying our sin, and He tore the curtains open so that we can come to God. The world does not have this. And so as the church prays, the scene in Judea changes from the earthly view of darkness to a heavenly glory of God's rescue. Peter's death will come, but not tonight. So as the church prays, the angel of God appears and begins to move and bring about God's rescue. Look at verse 6 to 10 with me. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, 
sanctuaries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a quick light, and a, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. You see the power contrast here. Peter, with the physical guards around him, you have the iron gates, tool chains, and more guards. And then the angel of the Lord appeared unhindered and unbothered about the physical soldiers. He came in, gave him a struck on the side, the chains fell off, and they head off with the opening of the iron curtains. The angel urged Peter, get dressed, follow me. And Peter, thinking that he's a vision, well, why can't he? He was thinking about vision the last time about the picnic mat, isn't it? So he, he heard the vision, he thought it was a vision, he obeyed, he headed for the exit. The iron gates opened, and God was at work to reveal His glory. I just want to pause here and ask friends, have you ever seen the hand of God at work? Have you ever seen the hand of God at work? We can, if we are praying about things and people that are of God's concern. And it is amazing, in fact nourishing for our faith when we can see and hear God answer prayers. No, Brother Andrew, I'm not talking about any of the Andrews in this church. Brother Andrew, the founder of Open Door, known as God Smuggler, who had smuggled Bibles to the deepest, darkest communist land uh, during the uh, Cold War. He lifted the iron curtains and he went in. And this is what Brother Andrew says about prayer. He says, our prayer can go where we cannot. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. I don't know about your Bible. Your Bible, you have a prayer calendar or um, names of people you have scribbled somewhere before or perhaps your your computer, your web browser have a a, a bookmark to persecuted um, websites where there are people that you can pray for. Perhaps, perhaps not, but you might want to start today that our prayers can go where our feet may not be able to enter. Last week, Pastor Andrew showed you the Operation World, that big book that's orange and blue. Uh, There's a great book to pray for Christians, but there are a lot of other opportunities. You can ask your pastors, can ask why, can ask your missions committee, can join the monthly prayer meetings and learn about people we can pray for, or to subscribe to to missions, uh, prayer requests, or even engage with missionaries that are overseas. There are plenty of ways that we can pray. Or perhaps it will be your friends that you kind of, or taxi driver, you have kind of tried to give it a shot and share about Jesus that you could pray for. Because prayer can open doors that our feet cannot reach. So while the world gives credit to itself, the world can give credit to faith, the world can give credit to, you know, to kind of randomness about the good and bad in life. You know what Christians do? Christians has a platform called prayer and on it, we look at the world and see how God does everything. What the world will say, oh, hang on, no, this thing happened, or oh, swear, this thing turns bad. Christians will say, praise be to God, whether it's good or bad, because we say that if we manage, it, it's because we are looking through the lens of what God has given us through prayer. So the world, while the military power can rest in the hands of kings and princes and leaders, but for us Christians, we catch a glimpse 
to the power of prayer. And that's where Acts 12 carries on. Look at Acts 12, back, uh, back at Acts 12 with me. Now, it took a while kind of for Peter to realize this rescue was for real, that the Lord has indeed sent his angel to rescue him from the clutches of Herod and the Jewish, be- Jewish people. And he finally got fully awake and found himself in the middle of the street. No shops are open, everything is closed. And then he realized, indeed, God has rescued him. And the first thing he decided to do is not to head home. He decided to head to the house of Mary to find the praying church. Now you may say, oh, how do you know, or how does he even know the church is there praying? Well, it would not be unsurprising if he was there himself praying for James when James was in prison. And so, where did Peter go? He goes straight uh, to the house of Mary because God has surely answered the prayers of the saints. Now the question for us is this, does God answer prayer only when we have perfect faith or perfect words? Does God only answer prayer when we have perfect faith or perfect words? The answer is no, isn't it? It would be unsurprising, in fact, that we can't have perfect faith and we can't have perfect words. But nevertheless, it doesn't stop God from answering prayers to bring Him glory. In fact, this is what God is just about to answer. The prayer of the church, well, if they will only just open the door. Look at verse 14 with me. When this has dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter, at the outer entrance, knocked the door at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, well, obviously Peter is kind of a regular there. She kind of recognized Peter's voice. When she recognized that, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and escaped. Peter is at the door. Hello, anyone's going to open the door for me? I don't know if you have this experience when, when I go home, I knock the door, I heard my son say, Daddy's back! And then no one opens the door. She went in to tell the sister, the mom, and, and somebody thought somebody's going to open the door, but I was like, someone could have opened the door. So, again, right, that's what Peter is doing. And when they actually knows what happens, their shock will become praise and glory to God, isn't it? Look at verse 15. Peter is a door, cried Rhoda. Well, they haven't opened the door. They said, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting, it was so, they said, it must be his angels. You know, while God has brought the answered prayer to the physical door, you know guess what, what they do? They kind of gather together and have a theological discussion. Ah, you know how God answers prayer? Ah, it's the spirit. Ah, it could be kind of impression. And, and the, the answer is there like, hello, hello. And they were inside until finally, the knocking was too loud and they actually go and open the door. Look at 16. Peter kept knocking and when they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. And then Peter had to motion with his hand, shh, be quiet. And he described how the Lord has brought him out of prison. Tell James, which is most likely the brother of Jesus, and the other brothers and sisters about this. He said it and then he stayed for supper. No, he said it and he left. Isn't it? That's what the Bible says. No, Peter is on a move. He came specifically to bring the message in person that God has answered your prayer. And then he left for another place. No, dear friends, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you have heard this or you have said this before. No, if God is really sovereign and all-powerful, why bother to pray? 
Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? The answer is here. So that we may know and be strengthened that God is almighty, God answers prayer, and God is unstoppable. That's basically what happened when Peter came and then he left. God has answered prayer and I'm rescued. Now go and tell James, tell the church. And he moved on. Prayer requires faith, but in praying our faith gets strengthened. Prayer requires faith, but in praying our faith gets strengthened. What a privilege God involves us when He calls us to pray. He uses the prayer of the church as the means to foil the evil plans of the proud and arrogant. In fact, Liu will go on to tell us that God does not leave the arrogant unpunished. But as we kind of still just pause here a bit about our own prayer life, the question I have for us is this, are there times where you might have felt that you missed out the privilege of growing your faith because you're not praying? The slowness of our prayers. I don't know if you feel that before, but I feel that often. You know, there are, there are times where I receive prayer letter, I look at it, I pray, I printed it out, I put it in my Bible, I say, I'm going to keep praying for my friend. Then I got distracted. And before I know, the second prayer letter has arrived. And the letter will come in and say, Praise be to God, thanks for praying. God has answered prayer. I was like, Thanks be to God, I wish I prayed more. And be involved in the joy of seeing the glory of God happening. But there will be times when I receive another letter to say that discouragement has set in. There's a brother who wrote a letter um, recently and says this, that you know, I've been doing ministry on Sunday church for a long time and now I've decided to stop. Now, we're still running weekday Bible study, but the, the, the group has become too small to be sustained. And look at it, I said, oh, could I not have prayed more? Could I not have been there between the two letters to say, brother, the Lord will do what He does and we just be faithful. Uh, it would have been much better if I said that to Him before the letter comes back. What a privilege to pray and what a responsibility to pray. Have there been times where you tell your friends or tell people that I'll pray for you. That's a privilege but when we say that the responsibility is on us as well that we do pray when we say that we pray. Because when the outcome comes, we could be rejoicing or we could be moaning and crying and grieving with our friend. But if we have not, we are only left with guilt that we said that we would, but we have not been involved in the privilege that God has given us. Those who are going through difficulties, they need prayer. Those who are facing different parts of life, circumstances, needs prayer. And that is the sword God has given every single Christian that the principalities of this world cannot offer and cannot stop. So like the church in chapter 12 of Acts, there is such great fervency for us to pray. To pray for those who are like James, who might have just ended. For those who are like Peter, who needs to continue. For those who are like the church, who needs to keep persevering and know that God is there. So may we continue to pray for and with each other as a church in BTPC, for the persecuted church, for missionaries, for the lost, 
For God to warm our hearts, that gets cold easily. For God to raise the heat and passion for His Word to be proclaimed and for His work to be accomplished. There are plenty of opportunities every month we pray here. And as we gather to pray, we'll pray more fervently, isn't it, as well? For those who are waiting for God's rescue. But we must come back to Acts 12 because morning has arrived. There was no small commotion in the prison or the palace about what happened. King Herod, he was totally enraged and totally embarrassed. He had his own guard cross-examined and he kind of executed them. And he himself, having kind of lost the control of the situation, decided not to overstay in Judea. He shifted his focus from persecuting the leaders and the church to saying, you know what, I have something on. And off he went to Caesarea. And God used that rescue to stop the persecution of Herod. But we also soon see that Herod will not get away for what he has done because the sword of God will rest on him. Look at chapter 12, verse 20 to 23 with me. Now Herod, he's not known to be a peaceable king. He quarreled with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with all angry men, he said to his children, or he said to, to the people, No food for you. And off they go hungry. So hungry were the Tyre and Sidon people that they succumbed to their needs and they turned and looked for support. They found blasters. I don't know why they said to him and said, Could you kind of seek, help us seek audience with King Herod, that we may have peace. Perhaps they've used flattery to convey, oh no, actually I have deep reverence for you, King Herod. Actually, we are submissive to you. But whatever they did, they managed to sit audience. And verse 21 goes on. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. There we have it. The way to a proud man's heart is not difficult, isn't it? Flattery can get you almost anywhere if the person uh, is a proud man. What Herod had failed to get in Judea, he got it in Caesarea. Because he's not just a man, he's a God. How happy he was. But that is not to be. Look at verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, unlike Apostle Paul, just two chapters later in Acts 14, when people want to make Paul God, he says, No, no, I'm not God. I'm just like you. I'm just a man. King Herod here, he actually enjoys the address with dire consequence. This account by Luke is actually also recorded in a circular historical account by Josephus in the first century. I'm just going to read Josephus' account of Herod's event for us. I put it up the slide so you know where I got it from. But you can just listen as I read you Josephus' circular but historical account of this event. Now when Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he came to the city Caesarea. Then he he exhibited shows in honor of the emperor, the Roman emperor. On the second day of the festival, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver and of a truly wonderful contexture and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment was illuminated by the fresh reflection of the sun's ray upon it. 
It shone out after a surprising manner and was so resplendent as to spread a horror over those that looked intently on him. At that moment, his flatterers cried out that he was a god and they added, Be thou merciful to us, for although we have hitherto reverence thee only as a man, yet shall we henceforth own thee as superior to mortal nature. Upon this, the king did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. But as he presently afterward looked up, he saw an owl sitting on a certain rope over his head and immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tidings, as it had once been the messenger of good tidings to him. He fell, Herod fell into the deepest sorrow. A severe pain also arose in his belly and began in the most violent manner. Josephus carried on. Accordingly, he was carried into the palace. The rumor went abroad that he would certainly die in a short time. But multitude presently sat in sackcloth with their wives and children the way that the law of the country would have it. And they besought God, whoever God is this to them, for the king's recovery. All places were also full of mourning and lamentation. Now the king, Herod, he rested in the high chamber and as he saw them below lying posture on the ground, he could not himself forbear weeping, and when he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days, he departed this life, being the fifty-fourth year of his age, in the seventh year of his reign. Records of Flavius Josephus under Jewish Antiquities 19.343-3350. If you want to read further on this historical account, look for me, I have the book. You can borrow from me and you can uh, read more about what happened before and after. But it's worth noting that Josephus, he's not writing as a Christian. He's writing as a Jew uh, historian. And this is a circular account, and that is his king, or he's involved in the Roman Empire. So the words is from a historian who is under this rule. But Luke, Luke is more pointed in his writing. To Luke, this is the point. The arrogance of man could last only as long as the borrowed breath he has. But God who never dies cannot be hindered, nor his glory be robbed from him. He will bring judgment on the guilty. Now from Josephus' circular record, it was kind of the sign of an hour sitting on a curtain overhead that brought you tiding, but Luke, with his spiritual eyes, he says this clearly. Basically, it's the Lord's angel at work. Verse 23, look at it again. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Earlier on, when we were reading Acts 12, the angel came and struck Peter, and he literally brought Peter from death to life. But this time around, the angel came and struck Herod, and Herod literally moved from death, from life to death. Do you see the difference? In the hands of God. There was one prayed for and longed for by the church. And God brought his angel to rescue. And there's one being honored and claimed as God. And the angel came and brought death to him. For accepting the words of the flatterers. For accepting a glory that God alone deserved. There is a place for us humans. It's just not the throne of God. 
And for this reason, as we look at the generations past and our generation and the generations there will be a head, there will come dictators who will rise with great power, who will attempt to sit the throne of God. But the moment their breath runs out, the borrowed breath runs out, their body will be fed by worms and they will face the judgment of God. Now as we come here, the words of our Lord Jesus should strike echoes in our ears. Our Lord says this in Matthew chapter 10, 28. Let me read this to you. It's on the slide. Jesus says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is how Christians are to view life and death in this world. The way that the world cannot understand and cannot see. Now dear friends, Acts 12 is an amazing account, but it's not just an amazing bedtime story that talks about a Judean group of Christians under this historical uh, Herod. Acts 12 is meant to draw yours and my attention to the way and the character of God. That God is one who listens to the prayer and cry of His church. And every life and death of His people are precious to God. But God does not leave those who usurp His throne unpunished. Because God will punish and His plans will carry on. Now as we look at every generation, we are called to pray for saints, to pray for God's glory to be revealed, for God's word to be proclaimed, for God's work to be fulfilled. Because that is what Acts 12 is revealing to us. That God is unhindered and He has involved His church. Now why can we say this is not just kind of a description of a once-off event, but there is more involving for us because Jesus has given this promise isn't it his last words we all many of us will be able to memorize this Matthew 28 19 20 therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age now as followers of Jesus we hold our hand and fulfill or respond to the great commission, Jesus took our hand and put his promise on us and said, and I will be with you to the very end of age. You will not be alone. When the church cries, God, this is difficult, Jesus is here. And so, the church prayed and so God reveals his glory. God will keep his promise and that's why Luke rounds up his account with verse 24. Look at the last verse Verse 24 for today. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Paul, uh, Luke's point is this. The word of God cannot be hindered. And that's why the dictators in some parts of East Asia, no matter how they have concentration camp and kill Christians, under prayer, the Christians just manage to keep surviving and persevering. And it's because of this that as even in the Cold War, when the iron curtains were drawn, you have a helpless young Dutch man with nothing but Bible and prayer walking right past the iron curtains, the iron gates, bringing the Word of God to the souls that will turn from death to life. Because God's work is never hindered. 
and he reveals here in Acts 12, he uses the obedience and the prayer of his people to fulfill his work in this world, to bring his kingdom to us, to, to himself, and us to himself. And so Herod was eaten by worms and died, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Let me just close with this. The God smuggler, Brother Andrew, he once says this, I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? I'm a fool of Christ. But whose fool are you? May we here be people who are willing to look like fools in the world, following the footsteps of James, of Peter, of the praying churches. But may we never look like fools in the eyes of heaven, by exchanging our loyalty to God for comfort or honour the world offers to us. God's work will go unhindered. Shall we take this opportunity just to pray together as a church? Oh dear Father, we are thankful to you for Acts 12. You are a loving and caring God who hears the prayer of your people. You are also a glorious and powerful God who will bring to completion all that you have planned. Thank you for this account to see that your plans can never be hindered. Your people are never forgotten. Thank you for the privilege to hold out your gospel with one hand and hold on to your promise to be reversed on the other. And so, Father, we confidently come to you, bring our prayers and requests to you. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing challenges all around the world, in the Middle East or even in the concentration camps in East Asia. Those who are to continue to testify for you. Father, we pray that you will preserve their lives, their faith, their integrity. For those who have finished their work and are ready to see you, Father, we pray you will keep them strong to finish this race. We pray the same for us, Father, that we will continue to grow, to persevere and to be renewed each day as a Christian. Oh, Father, for those of us who have not known you, we pray too that you will reveal yourself to us through the proclamation of Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, we know that even in dark moments like what we saw in Acts 12, that you're never far away from your people. So help us. Help us, oh God, Father, to keep trusting in you, to keep coming to you in prayer, and to keep seeking your glory, both in good and bad times, that we may live for Jesus and we will be more courageous to proclaim Jesus for another day. Hear our prayer for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and for your own glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.